I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 269. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is uh, just me. It's a solo episode today. Uh, We've had a lot going on in June with vacations and people launching their own new businesses, selling raw materials, and so... I want to make sure to come to you, to come to the Beauty Brains family, and to answer some of the questions that we've had building up uh, over the last few months. Uh, There is a variety of ways to get questions to us through our social media uh, accounts, of course. Uh, Instagram is thebeautybrains2018. You can contact us us directly through Twitter at The Beauty Brains, and on our Facebook page also. You can also send us an email to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Ideally, you record that your voice on there and you send us a voice message, but we take emails too. Uh, but the questions I'm answering today came to us through our form. Uh, the form is sent in the show notes, and it's just another place where you can get your questions answered. And these are the ones I like lowest priority for me, so uh, I'm going to go through and answer as many of these as I can. But before I get to the questions, uh, you know, I usually we usually do some chit chat. I, you know, I don't have much to chit chat. Went on a little uh, trip to Detroit, which was nice. Oh well, of course, you you might be wanting to know about any Porch Kitty updates. Uh, Porch Kitty, which is the cat that uh, the stray cat that kind of visits my house and outside I feed it. Uh, I saw something incredibly new today. Uh, Porch Kitty has a Porch Kitty kitty. So it was with a little kitten, a little black kitten with the little white mitten paws. Very cute. Very shy, though, because when I went outside to feed the cats, uh, the little kitten just disappeared. And so now his new name is Blur. All right, that's enough uh, chit-chat of just a guy idly sitting in his closet uh, or his wife's walk-in closet (laughs) talking about stray cats. Why don't we get on with the beauty questions? First question comes to us from Alice. Alice says, is there any evidence that one ingredient essences common to Asian beauty, specifically uh, Galactomyces fermate, filtrate, mugwort, and the Halyuna cordata are effective on skin concerns like acne, so mugwort and cordata, and skin brightening? Uh, no, uh, at least not scientifically controlled evidence, uh, at least evidence that's convincing enough to get them approved as drug actives. Both anti-acne and skin brightening products would be drugs. Those would be drug actives would be required for those types of products. And, uh, there is, none of these are, uh, approved as drug actives, and I didn't see any evidence uh, in the peer-reviewed literature that would suggest they're going to be actives anytime soon. She also had, uh, is uh, propolis a viable ingredient for the treatment of acne? Many K-beauty products feature this ingredient and indicate that it may be healing for acne. Um, Well, Alice, no. (laughs) I wouldn't have faith that propolis uh, would help much against acne. Propolis is generally known as 
the bee glue, which is refer uh, which refers to some resinous substance accumulated by the bees from different types of plants. Now, one study that is referred to uh, looking at an so I was looking at research and the researchers uh, the review paper I said, said oh it's been proven effective for acne. Well, then I looked at that study as far as acne goes, and this is what they study. It was an ethanol extraction of propolis, and it showed that it did help against acne. However, the researchers compared that ethanol extraction versus just giving people an ethanol solution. And they found in this particular study that it had some effect. But, you know, this isn't the kind of thing that you would really want to test. This, this just says, uh, okay, if I put, if I put al- alcohol on someone's face or I put alcohol and propolis on, my, on someone's face, uh, is there going to be any anti-acne effect? And, you know, they found there was some effect that way. But if you're looking as a consumer for treatments against acne... Um, that's not what you care about. To prove that something, uh, what you would care about, uh, you would want them to test it against something known to have an effect like uh, benzyl peroxide or salicylic acid. You know, I'm highly skeptical that you're going to see any extra benefit from this ingredient over proven actives like those. So, uh, you know, maybe, but probably not. Shaila says, is there a great leave-in treatment for my thick, coarse hair? I really do not like putting heat like flat iron on my hair. I'm 63, if that makes any difference, which I'm not sure if it does. Uh, I do color my hair also. Well, um, as far as things go this to this question, age does not really make much difference when it comes to hair. Uh, now, there may be some slight amino acid composition differences, and some of the sebum that you produce is going to be uh, reduced in older hair. But as long as you're using a conditioner every day uh, or standard hair care products, uh, there's not really going to be a significant differences uh, between younger and older hair uh, that anyway that's impactful Uh, so let's see i don't have any specific brand to recommend but uh because you know on the beauty brains we don't really do that brand recommendations but you know i would say find a product that has dimethicone or amodimethicone in it that's going to help protect your hair and make it more manageable uh, reduce frizz and if you're worried about buildup, then you might look for something that has cyclomethicone. That's going to evaporate off the hair over time. But really, it's tough to beat the effectiveness of silicones for feel, shine, and manageability. Joni says, what is cold processed, and is that way their shampoo and conditioner need to be shaken? Well, cold process refers to a manufacturing method where you don't have to heat up the product to make it. Many emulsions have to be heated up before the oil and water phases are combined. And this is because they usually will contain uh, ingredients that are are solid at room temperature, like things like uh, fatty alcohols, like acetyl alcohol or sterile alcohol or maybe glycerol stearate. And so you need to heat those things to melt them, get them into the oil phase, and that way you can mix them together. In cold-processed formulas, that kind of heating isn't necessary and it's not done. It really has no impact from a consumer standpoint, but theoretically, this could be more energy efficient, uh, although it's tough to say how much. So unless it is specifically designed that way, uh, you should never have to actually shake a shampoo or a conditioner. And now if you see something that's uh, been separated, uh, you know, typically that just means it was formulated poorly. 
Next question comes to us from Cynthia. She says, is Loom deodorant products safe for someone with chronic kidney disease? Now, you might be saying to yourself, what is deodorant and kidney disease? What is going on there? Well, I looked it up, and concerns about antiperspirants and kidney disease were raised, you know, many years ago. This was when dialysis patients were given aluminum hydroxide to help control high phosphorus levels in their blood. The kidneys that weren't functioning right uh, caused the aluminum to start to accumulate. Now, scientists noticed that dialysis patients who had these high aluminum levels were more likely to develop dementia. Aluminum accumulation in the body and blood also produce a type of bone disease known as a dynamic bone disease. Anyway, uh, that's why the FDA now requires antiperspirant labels to carry a warning that says, ask a doctor before use if you have a kidney disease. Now, as far as this loom deodorant goes, I, I looked it up, and in fact, there is no aluminum in the loom deodorant, so... Yes, it would be safe to use if you had the kidney disease as described. It's a deodorant, however. It's not an antiperspirant, and that just means uh, antiperspirants actually will stop sweating. This Loom product will not stop you from sweating. Uh, Loom is a deodorant, so it may help to prevent or absorb odors, but uh, it's not going to prevent sweating. Uh, in truth, it's almost impossible to absorb enough aluminum, though, through the skin to really harm your kidneys. Uh, there was a quote in on the from the somebody at the National Kidney Foundation, uh, Leslie Spry, MD. She says, "Unless you eat your stick or spray it into your mouth, your body can't absorb that much aluminum." So, basically, even Loom is not a concern for kidney disease, and even uh, antiperspirants are not really a big concern either. Next up is Patricia. Patricia says, how is it possible to make an aqueous ascorbic acid 20% serum, which is stable for 12 months? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a very specific formulation question. Uh, I guess what happened in this formula... Uh, the second ingredient, the first ingredient is water, and the second ingredient was ascorbic acid. And you say to yourself, uh, you know, everything you might have heard about ascorbic acid is that when it's in water, it oxidizes and breaks down. And so how can a company be making a product, an aqueous-based product that has ascorbic acid as one of the ingredients? Um, here's my explanation. Uh, everything is exactly as the company says it is. They make a batch with all the ingredients listed, and they put it in a bottle, and then they sell it. And the vitamin C simply oxidizes and provides no real benefits. Uh, the formula uh, that she asked about actually contains a large amount of propylene glycol, so... Essentially, you're paying for a humectant solution of water and propylene glycol. And, you know, you can expect to get a feeling of moisturization from the humectant and maybe some sliminess because in this formula there was also xanthan gum, but that's about it. There are other ingredients in this uh, product you asked about, like aloe, vitamin C, camellia extract. Uh, these are really just claims ingredients that give the marketers something to talk about. Uh, they don't really provide any benefit when you are using them in the product. However, these ingredients are very good at convincing consumers to buy the product. Now, as far as what did the manufacturer do to solve the ascorbic acid oxidation problem? Well, 
They just let it all oxidize, and then they just didn't worry about it. Most consumers aren't going to notice uh, because vitamin C does not really provide any kind of immediate benefits, and consumers aren't going to notice anyway. I mean, the bottom line is that if you see vitamin C mixed with water, it's probably not stable. It'll probably just oxidize, and you're just putting you know oxidized uh, ascorbic acid on your body, and it's probably perfectly fine to do that. It's not isn't harmful to consumers, uh, and consumers aren't going to really notice it. Uh, so the manufacturer doesn't really worry about stabilizing it further. They're just using the vitamin C uh, as a way to get you to buy the product. So there you go. That's one explanation. Maybe there's another explanation, but that's, to me, the most likely one. Zamzam says, is PPG a humectant or a film former? And if so, does it rinse off? Uh, PPG. Well, I didn't find PPG uh, by itself. I only found PPG 9-diglyceryl ether. And so that is probably what you're referring to. Diglyceryl ether part means that it's going to have some humectant properties. So... It's also going to have some film-forming properties. Uh, Polypropylene glycol, PPG, uh, does that. Um, So the answer to your question is that it's both, both a film-former and a humectant. Daria says, in this post on the beautybrains.com website, you said that encapsulated vitamin C is just a marketing gimmick. Now, is that about all products with encapsulated vitamin C retinoids, or is that just about this specific brands? Um, I looked at that. Uh, I personally think that encapsulated vitamin C, or really just encapsulated anything, is just a marketing gimmick. And here's why. Here's the problem I see with encapsulation technology and vitamin C. First of all, you can't put vitamin C directly in a water-based formula because it's going to oxidize too much over time. You know, by the time you get it, all the vitamin C will probably be oxidized. And so it really doesn't do much, as we heard in the previous question. So the idea to encapsulate the vitamin C, thereby protecting it from breaking from it breaking down in water, uh, it makes sense. And, you know, that way when you use it, it's still around to be effective. But the main problem with this comes in the application of the technology. The encapsulated beads have to be strong enough to withstand all of the forces of mixing and filling pumps and the whole manufacturing process. And you don't want these things to break open while the product is being made, right? So, the you know, the, the problem is, so you got to make these things stronger. Well, the problem is that... Uh, these things are made so strong that now they don't break open easily. And so when uh, you as the consumer get it uh, and you put it on your skin, then they still don't break open, right? They just kind of get into the epidermal layer still as those little invisible spheres. And you're left with just these vitamin C spheres in your skin, not breaking open and not providing much benefit. Eventually, they're going to exfoliate off uh, with all your uh, dead skin cells. And so it just, you know, land down the sink or something like that. So most, if not all, of the encapsulated vitamin C never actually goes where you need it to go. And that's why I continue to think encapsulated vitamin C or even encapsulated retinol still just a marketing gimmick. I don't think this problem has been solved. Tammy says, is there any product out there besides sunscreens that is actually anti-aging? Something that's going to make my skin look more useful. You know, I was talking to my wife the other day, and we were talking about some product, and I'm like, ah, that probably doesn't work. And she says to me, 
but you don't think anything works. <laughs> and, you know, I have to, in my defense, I think there are things that work. And so as far as anti-aging goes, uh, of course, sunscreen is a great anti-aging product. But I would also say moisturizers uh, will give you a more youthful look and feel on your skin. Uh, exfoliators and alpha hydroxy acids, they can also make a real difference. Now, beyond that, I, I don't think there are ingredients in particular that are going to make much noticeable improvements. Uh, certainly, there is evidence for things like retinols and some for niacinamide. But the reality is I think most consumers aren't going to notice differences between products that contain these ingredients and just good moisturizers. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, people in general, we're just not very good at noticing subtle differences over time. And if you're using a, uh, say, a, a retinol-containing product uh, day after day, uh, on a single day of use, you're not going to notice much difference. Uh, are you going to notice a month later that your skin looks a little bit better? Maybe it does look better. Uh, maybe just using it made you feel like it looks better, and maybe it looks the same. Um, the other idea is maybe it looks better because you feel better about your skin because you're doing something to your skin, and maybe you would have got exactly the same benefit just using some moisturizer uh, that didn't have anything in it. So anyway, um, we're not good at telling so uh, differences, but use moisturizers, exfoliators. Uh, those are good for anti-aging too. Next up comes from Renata. In what order should I use a hair mask before or after a conditioner? Well, I'm going to say you should use the hair mask right after shampooing, so before you use a conditioner. Although I would add that if you're using a hair mask, you really don't need to use an additional conditioner. I mean, that's if it's a good mask. You know, you're really, if you're using a good mask, you're really not going to get any extra benefit by using a hair conditioner after that. Uh, the mask should take care of that. Maria says, which skin tightening procedure or device gives the best results? Well, um, on this one, I'm not really sure. I just wouldn't expect any topical treatment to give you anything but a temporary tightening effect. Uh, now, if you want something more permanent, you know, you're going to need to visit a dermatologist. Sadly, topical treatments just don't work nearly as well as surgical procedures. So, you know, if you want uh, more permanent, you know, improvement to the skin, you know, try Botox. My, my wife loves it. And as we've heard on the show before, so does Valerie. Next question comes from Sarah. Sarah says, I saw an ad on Instagram for a moisturizer called Gloves in a Bottle hand shielding lotion. It's supposed to be amazing for psoriasis, which I have struggled with for years. I looked at the ingredient list, uh, expecting to see BHA or urea, but it looks just very simple. I know simple is usually best when it comes to psoriasis, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this moisturizer and also any other affordable products brands that you would recommend. Well, let's see. I looked up the ingredient list of gloves in a bottle, and it contains uh, water, uh, which that's the main solvent, but it contains dimethicone, stearic acid, glycerin, uh, isopropyl maristate, uh, uh, copolymer, stearic 21, a preservative system, methyl cellulose. Um, yeah, you're right. This is a pretty simple formula. Basically, what you're looking at is mostly the main ingredient, dimethicone. 
this ingredient is great for coating the skin surface, so it's actually going to protect from environmental factors, and it's uh, also going to be occlusive, so it's going to help you hold and, hold and uh, maintain water there. Additionally, it has the glycerin in there that's going to help as a humectant, so that's going to help draw moisture into your skin. I mean, you know, overall, I this is probably, you know, this product is going to be a good moisturizer and protector. And whether you like the feel or, you know, or not, it might feel a little slippery. You know, that's really up to you. Incidentally, dimethicone is actually approved as a skin protectant drug active. So there is certainly data behind the technology that demonstrates it's going to be effective. Uh, but you can probably get a drugstore version of some sort of dimethicone skin protectant for a bit less money. But I got to be honest with you, I looked at the price per ounce of gloves in a bottle and it's relatively inexpensive. So, you know, I'd say go for it. <laughs> Next question comes to us from Sheena. Sheena says, my question for the beauty brains is on the validity of the curly girl method. Is the curly girl method scientifically proven to bring the benefits of beautiful, manageable curls, coils, or is this just some sort of marketing ploy? Ah, well, no, the curly girl method was not developed by scientists, and it has never been verified by scientists to prove benefits. So, uh, no, it's not scientifically proven. Uh, in my view, yeah, it's a bit of a marketing ploy, but let's be real. People like a story. People buy products that tell a good story. And the curly girl method it gives people a nice story and a nice procedure to follow. It's it's a path to follow. It gives you some definitive answers. And for a lot of people, that feels good. Uh, the curly girl method makes people feel good about their hair. Uh, do they need to go through all these steps to really get these benefits? Eh, probably not. Um, but, you know, if it's making people feel good, can it really be that bad? <laughs> so... Uh, there's nothing scientific about curly girl method, though. Belia says, is hair color carcinogenic? No, Belia, uh, it's not. Uh, it is illegal to sell carcinogenic products, uh, and uh, hair colors that uh, are carcinogenic are illegal to sell. So uh, car uh, hair color is safe as it's sold, uh, and you can be confident in that, especially because it's produced by some of the biggest companies in the world, and they're required to do safety testing. Catherine says, is lotion marketed for specific body parts, uh, body, hands, feet, face, actually different, or can I use anything uh, anywhere? Well, okay, here's the formulating truth. As far as the ingredients go, no, there really isn't a lot of different. I mean, you know, they are different, but they don't have... What I mean is they don't really have to be different. The ingredients that moisturize your hands and your feet and your body are the same ingredients that would work on your face, uh, your body, your feet. You know, things like dimethicone, petrolatum, mineral oil, glycerin, uh, emollients, humectants, these things... Uh, work on your face, they work on your hands, they work on your... But they, they work everywhere, you know? The main difference, though, are the facial products are designed to feel a bit lighter when they're applied. That way people don't think that they're 
blocking their pores or they're weighing down their skin or you, you feel it on your face. I think your face is very sensitive to uh, feelings uh, of greasiness in a way, say, like that your feet aren't or, you know, if you're rubbing lotion on your legs, you, you don't really notice it that. You might notice a more greasy feeling on your hands. Your hands have a lot of sensors. Uh, but as, that's, you know, that's just aesthetics. Uh, you could have a greasy product uh, on your face. Uh, and as long as it's not causing uh, acne or something like that, uh, it's going to work perfectly fine. You just might not like how that feels. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, you couldn't use it that way. So, you know, you can pretty much use anything as long as you like the way that it feels. Uh, you may or you may not, uh, or you might also not like how the products smell. But as far as things go, there's no scientific reason you couldn't use your body lotion on your face. This one comes to us from Miss J. She says, hello, Valerie and Perry. Uh, I'm a longtime listener of Beauty Brains Podcast and fan of the show. This is my first time asking a question. I stumbled across a product called Swear, S-W-A-I-R, a dry shampoo alternative that, according to the website, cleans your hair without suds, rinsing, or residue. I watched a short video on the website to see how the product worked and have mixed feelings. Can I get your thoughts on this alternative and whether it's worth buying $36 worth and using and how it compares to dry shampoo? And then she provides the link there. Um, she says, I don't wash my hair every day, but since I work out two to three times a week, I use dry shampoo in between washes to clean my hair. This isn't ideal uh, in my opinion, so I'm open to trying new products if they might work better. Well, Miss J, I looked at the link, and uh, first there's, you know, it comes in a pretty standard spray bottle. Uh, looks, looks all right. I mean, for 36 bucks, they could have upped the classiness of the bottle, but, you know, because it's a stock bottle that you can get. But <laughs> that is an aside. Uh, looking at the ingredients, it contains uh, water. Uh, squalane, polyisobutene, glycerin, acrylates, copolymer, PVP, phenoxyethanol, and fragrances, preservatives, blah, blah, blah. Um, basically, I see a lot of ingredients. So let's see what they're doing here. Um, essentially, you're spraying squ squalane on your hair, which is an oil. So unless you wipe that out, it's, it's going to be staying in your hair. And in the video, they do wipe it out. But it also has acrylates copolymer, and uh, so that's a film former, and has PVP, which is a styling film former. So, you know, at some levels, this looks more like a, a styling spray than any kind of uh, cleanser. And then it has cetaryl alcohol, glycerol stearate. Uh, that's for emulsification, probably of the squalene, or the squalane. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, th this product looks like it requires you to wipe it out pretty thoroughly. So basically, it's not actually going to be cleaning your hair, and uh, you're going to be leaving some products behind in the hair. There's nothing, these things don't really evaporate beyond the water. Maybe the polyisobutene will evaporate. I, I don't know the uh, volatility of that one, but. Basically, if you think about dry shampoos, you know, dry shampoos have these particles in them, and the particles are meant to absorb the oil in your hair, and then you comb it out. And so 
that's actually removing stuff from your hair. This product is actually putting oil in your hair. It's putting uh, fatty materials, glycerol stearate, acetyl alcohol in your hair. And then you're supposed to uh, wipe it out with a towel. You know, nah, you know I, don't, I don't have much faith that this is actually going to be cleaning your hair. Now, dry shampoos don't work great. I would agree with you. But at least you're not making your hair more dirty, uh, you know, if you properly get them out of your hair. This product looks like... You're just really making your hair more dirty. You're just adding stuff to your hair. Even if you wipe it out with a towel, you're not going to get all of that out. So I suppose if you towel dry it enough, you, you might be removing enough to make the hair feel right. Uh, but certainly, the bottom line here is this product is not going to be cleaning your hair uh, it's more of a styling product, so maybe it makes your hair easier to style and it feels less greasy, but really it's got PVP in it. That's the polymer that you'd use in a styling gel. Okay, just a few more questions we have. Z says, what is a good skincare product that is good for the skin but won't break the bank or cause me harm? Well, you know, that's borders on product recommendation, which we don't necessarily do, but let me just give you some advice here. The product that you buy or use is just going to depend on what you like and what it means to you to not break the bank. But if you want to find the lowest, the best value products out there, uh, I say pick something from any of the big companies like Procter & Gamble, Unilever, J&J, L'Oreal, um, the thing is, these big companies, when they develop products, they test them on a lot of different people. A huge segment of the population, they're doing home use tests, and they're optimizing their formula to be liked by the most number of people. Um, and that's how they design things. Smaller companies aren't not so much worried about optimization because they cater more to a niche client. Now, when you're Procter & Gamble and you uh, work for brands like Olay, you want as many people using Olay as possible. And if you want most people to use your product and say, yeah, that's pretty good, uh, you got to optimize it to work with the most number of people. That means people who there, there's going to be a segment of the population who don't like Olay for whatever reason. They don't like the the odor, they don't like the feel, and for those people, they will find something else because there's a lot of options in there. But, you know, sight unseen, I'm going to say that if you stick with products from big companies like Olay, Dove, Neutrogena, those are going to be the ones that you have the highest chance of finding something that is good for your skin, it's safe, it's affordable. Uh, and, of course, these products are not going to cause harm. They uh, they safety test these things that big companies do anyway. And certainly there are smaller companies that do make good products and they appeal to uh, people. And you might like a product from a smaller company better. But, you know, I'm going to assume that you're most like the general consumer. And in this case, you know, your best advice is to stick with the big brands, find something that you like and stick with it. Laura says, I've recently developed contact dermatitis reacting to hydroxyisohexyl-3 cyclohexane carboxyaldehyde, or lyral, 
And then another ingredient, MDBGN. My allergist says that MDBGN isn't used in products anymore. First, is that true? Uh, yeah, that's, that is true. Um, I looked through my sources of cosmetic raw materials and I didn't find a single supplier of MDBGN. So if you can't find suppliers, they probably aren't using it in products. So it's probably not really used much anymore. Laura also asks, if a product contains essential oils or scents, do I need to worry about it containing lyral, the other ingredient she's, uh, allergic to? Um, you Probably don't have to worry about finding lyral in essential oils. Uh, it's not used too much. Again, another ingredient I didn't find very much information on uh, in the cosmetic suppliers directories, uh, which means, you know, it's not being used very much. However, I would say as essential oils go, you might want to just try to avoid those anyway. Uh, people, uh, essential oils do have ingredients that people are commonly allergic to. And if you've developed sensitivities to some chemicals, there are probably some other things in, which might be in essential oils that also could be problematic for you. So, you know, if to be safe, I'd say stay away from essential oils. All right, looks like we've got time for one more question, and this one comes to us from Sheila. Look at that. We got through about 15, 17 questions. A lot of questions. <laughs> Sheila says, what, in your opinion, are some of the things that people just do not understand about your job, and what are some misconceptions people have about being a beauty scientist? Oh, asking about the job of a cosmetic chemist. Um, You know... I think the main thing that people don't understand is uh, one, one of the things is that cosmetic chemists have specialties. Just because somebody can make a shampoo, that doesn't need, mean they know much about making lipsticks. Um, in fact, there aren't a lot of companies that make lipsticks specifically. So a lot of people who are cosmetic chemists have never made lipsticks. Um, yeah, you can spend uh, a long time uh, making and getting great and making hairstyling products. And a company that you work for usually has you specialize in one thing like that. Uh, but if you spend all your time with hair products, you don't learn anything about making sunscreens. And so just because you could make hairstyling products doesn't mean you know much about making sunscreen. If you think of uh, cosmetic chemists a bit like uh, chefs uh, of the world... Uh, some chefs are going to specialize in certain cuisines. I mean, everybody can make all the things, but, you know, they specialize in uh, Latin cooking or, you know, uh, spicy cooking or Caribbean cooking, uh, that kind of thing, or upscale French cooking. Yeah, I watch a lot of Top Chef. <laughs> but anyway, uh, cosmetic chemists are kind of the same way. We specialize in certain things. So I think people tend to overestimate what chemists will know. I think people also overestimate uh, the impact that price of ingredients has on how much a product actually works. It doesn't actually cost a lot of money to make most good cosmetic products. That's why the whole notion that uh, companies are cutting costs so they can sell you uh, less safe or unsafe cosmetic products is, is just uh, a total red herring. Uh, companies aren't doing it. There's just not that much money to be made by making 
cheaper cosmetic products because uh, if if your formula costs a little bit more, uh, consumers are not very price conscious when it comes to uh, products. When you have a brand like Paracone that can sell you know two ounces of lotions for three hundred dollars uh, or something like that. Uh, it doesn't cost very much money to make a two-ounce lotion. You know, we're talking pennies, right? and you could use really expensive ingredients. And so uh, the price of the raw materials is never really uh, as uh, impactful on the final price of the product. And I think that's a thing that people don't really understand. Now, as far as a misconception about uh, being a beauty scientist... I think it's that you you might also have a misconception about how much power we have in the type of products that we make. Much of your job as a cosmetic chemist is spent conducting stability tests or you're making batches of things that you've made a hundred times. Um, a lot of product projects honestly just involve changing the color or the fragrance of some formula. So you're not really even using new ingredients. You're just uh, mixing things together and, and hoping nothing falls apart. And there is uh, there's a, also a lot of unknown information about beauty products because, you know, cosmetic chemists are not really hired to make new discoveries about things. Uh, you, new discoveries are, you know, done and, you know, there's lots of patents and things, but those, the patents that you get in the cosmetic industry are not not really that impactful to most consumers. I mean, there were, you know probably 10,000 patents in beauty products last year and really beauty products are not any different last year than the year before despite the 10,000 new patents. So I think uh, consumers don't really understand uh, how, how much unknown there is. You know, when you work for a company, you're there to help the company sell products. And so that often just means you're tweaking existing formulas or you're producing the same formula for less money. Uh, And marketing really drives new product development. Uh, There is very little cutting-edge science that drives the development of new cosmetic products, uh, much less than people might imagine, and certainly much less than the marketers uh, will tell you in the marketing stories. Of course, you know, there are a lot of benefits to being a cosmetic chemist. You get to be creative, inventive. You get to be looked at at your company as like the smartest people in the room, even though you're not sort of thought of that way when it comes to businesses and and which products to launch. But uh, it, it it is a really satisfying job, especially when you have worked on a product, you created a formula, and you get to go to the store and you see the product that you made on a store shelf. A lot of times uh, scientists will get jobs that work in labs on topics that, you know, people don't really know a lot about, uh, you know, working on viruses or working on uh, new drugs or new coatings for paints and things like that, or just doing analytical chemistry. Uh, These are things that aren't very relatable to people, but as a cosmetic chemist, you work on products that people use every day, products that make people happy. And to be able to do that, uh, you know, that's one of the greatest things about being a cosmetic chemist. All right, well, that brings me to the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed this uh, rapid-fire Q&A session with Perry. Uh, Valerie will be back next time, and we're going to have some audio questions, and we're going to talk about news and all our standard stuff. So thanks so much for listening. 
the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. In fact, last uh, couple weeks ago, we had our uh, Patreon event for our patrons, which is uh, an, one hour of uh, intimate question and answer uh, session. Um, and so if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. If you get a chance, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. This is going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We are on all our social media accounts, The Beauty Brains. Uh, on Instagram, we're at The Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at The Beauty Brains. And we have a Facebook page. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And since Valerie's not here, I can take us out with uh, a little uh, ukulele tune. got a barrel of money maybe we're ragged and funny but we'll travel along singing a song side by side yes we'll travel along singing a song side by side remember be brainy about your beauty thanks everyone Kittens! <laughs>